Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our Big Ten recap. We're going to go over what happened in the Big Ten for the other, the other 13 Big Ten teams, and we're not going to include UCLA USC yet. But I guess this show will be a little bit longer a year or two from <laughs> from now as we add SoCal to the Big Ten region. Uh, we're just going to go in reverse order, which is probably the easiest way to go. And we'll start with Minnesota. Minnesota, the disastrous, struggling year for Ben Johnson and his crew. Uh, Nine and twenty-two overall, two and seventeen in the Big Ten. And um, I think it, we we did not expect a lot from Minnesota this year. I think we expected them to struggle. But I don't think either of us expected them to be as um, pitiful as they were. At the end of the season, they kind of played oh. a little bit better. But even then, uh, they really, really, really struggled. <laughs> struggled. It was it was a, it was rough going, and part of it was that um, they never got Jamison Battle, who was so good the year before, was their best player, and really was. I'm not sure whether he made any all big 10 teams, but he certainly had that caliber of a year. He never quite got back to that level because of in large part because of injuries. I think, um, no, we expected them to be toward the bottom end, but we didn't expect them to be last. And, uh, we certainly didn't expect them to be kind of a, a historically bad team. They were number two sixteen overall in Ken Palm normally like a, a basement finisher in the big 10. So just to put it into perspective, the last couple of years, Nebraska has been the worst team in the yeah. big 10, right? So in 2022, they were 140th. So it's like 72 spots higher <laughs> than Minnesota. The year before that, they were the last place team in the big 10 in 21. They were one Oh nine overall the year before that in 20. Okay. They were 162, but that's it's still almost half top half, still right? like 50. 50 yeah. spots better than Minnesota. So Minnesota was historically bad. It just didn't work to Ben Johnson's credit. He tried the, his first year. It was kind of a mid-major all-star team. It was all guys at the portal this year. He played some freshmen along with some transfers, but it was, this was more of the first true year of his program. And it was a struggle. And he's already lost battle on the portal. He's lost his point guard, Taylon Cooper, to the portal. That's tough. Um, but uh, we'll see where it goes. But I was very impressed by his first season. Not as impressed by this year, but I understood why it happened. We'll see where yeah. it goes from here. Yeah, I think you had them finishing 13th. I had them finishing 11th and obviously underperformed both of those. Uh, next is next is 13th, which was Ohio State, which was definitely surprising. Surprising. You had predicted Ohio State Ooh. has four, a Fourth. third, 
third, and I had Prism third as well. Third? Yeah. Now we are just oh my god! I just remind everyone we are using Big Ten tournament or Big Ten tournament seating, so there are lots, of, especially this year. Boy, more than any year, there are lots of ties, and so you could be potentially like I think the last game of the season, Northwestern was going to be anywhere between second and ninth, <laughs> just based on one game. So there's a lot of you know whether you're eighth or six, you may be the same record. But anyway, Ohio State was 13th, and they were definitely the 13th best team in the in the league. Uh, they were 16 to 19 overall, five and 15 in uh, in the Big Ten, and that's with just kind of flurry of wins right near the end. They played obviously really well. They overperformed in the Big Ten tournament where they had three victories, but then fell out in the uh, yeah. semifinals to Purdue. Um, it just it's just a team that, much like before, they really struggled on the defensive end, which has been a calling card for Holtman yeah. now every year that he's coached, except for what the first year or so, uh, and 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 having yeah. really good freshman recruits as well sort of one and done players, but not able to really translate into much success this season. So they were 49th overall in Ken Palm, which is pretty decent, but you know where that put them in the big 10 11. <laughs> so not much better than the 13th. They actually finished. Now that said, the differences in Ken Palm in some ways between them and some of the teams that were ahead of them was pretty marginal, but, um, Look, you said it. I mean, defense, they ended up number 106. Offense, they ended up 19. There's the story, right? Yeah. They For most of the season, they couldn't guard. Interestingly, they got better late when Zed Key finally shut it down after trying to muddle through about half the season with a bad shoulder. And then somehow when their top offensive player, freshman Wayne Bryce Sensabaugh got hurt and shut it down, they seemed to hit another gear in the Big Ten tournament, <laughs> yeah. got all the way to the semis. Um, there's, you know, there's actually room for optimism. I think at Ohio state, uh, more so than I would have said, if you'd talked to me about it in late February, because of the way the season ended and because a lot of what drove that was improvement from their freshmen, particularly Bruce Thornton as the point guard, I think closed out really well, but they got a lot better play out of Roddy Gale. Um, Sensabaugh has already declared for the draft. He hasn't signed with an agent yet, but I suspect he'll go. Um, but they've got, uh, 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 Okpora, their freshman big man showed up very well late in the season as well. They'll get Zed key back. They assume healthy next year. So they should have a good one, two punch at the five. And they're adding in a very good recruiting class. The only one in the league that was really anywhere close to MSUs. Um, and at positions they need help at, at the forwards, the wings. So I think there's reason to think that there could be a bit of a bounce back next year at Ohio State. But if you look over the course of the season, very disappointing. If you look at the way it ended, there were some glimmers of hope for the future. There's hardly any room to go but up for <laughs> State after being 13th place. Uh, and just as a programming note, we are recording this at the end of March. So if things have happened since then, you know, just when we're talking about things, just so you know, where. Uh, next, a very disappointing season for Wisconsin. The Badgers were 20-14 overall, 9-11 in the Big Ten. Certainly looked like they were safely in the field, and they just faded at the end and, and flamed out the first game of the Big Ten tournament, which is a game they probably needed to win when they lost to Ohio State. You had picked yeah. them eighth. I had them ninth. Twelfth yeah. is pretty pretty bad. And they were probably the 12th or ninth, you know, 12th or 11th best team in the Big Ten uh, just by watching the eye test. I think they earned it. You know, they were... 62nd in Ken Palm. Now they're still playing. They're in the NIT. Um, they play, they're in the semifinals in Las Vegas uh, against North Texas tonight, 
actually. So they could move up a little bit from here, but <laughs> they're currently 62nd overall. 23rd rated defense, so pretty good, but offense 132. And yeah. they just got done in by the fact that they could not shoot. They were a truly terrible offensive rebounding team, which is not so unusual for them. They were really bad. And all of that offset the fact that they were the number one team in the country in turnover percentage, which is also what we've come to expect. But they just didn't do anything else well. And that really sunk them. I, I felt most of the time watching Wisconsin that they just, and it's a cliche, but it's true. It's hard to win games if you can't score at all. <laughs> and there were just too many games where they really, really struggled to score. Um, their three-point shooting was good-ish early, but really took a nosedive as the year went along. And, I mean, they ended up, they're currently just number 164. It's a tick over 34%. So that's that's not enough. But even so, having said that, if they were in games where they were struggling to get any production from three, I mean, it was over. They just could not score enough. So it, it remains to be seen what happens. You know, Greg Gard has never felt like he was on rock solid turf, even though he's been in that job for a while now. Um, it's never felt great for him, in part because he followed a legend in Bo Ryan and even though he's had success, he's won some Big Ten championships. Um, he hasn't had the kind of run that would convince people that, oh, he's obviously our guy for as long as he wants to be here. Yeah. So it'll be interesting because this has been a disappointment. There's no two ways about it. You don't make the tournament at Wisconsin. That's a disappointing season. And how he bounces back from that next year remains to be seen. Yeah, I think the performance that in the – NIT really makes a little difference on that. I don't think many people pay much attention to that. So no, he's always going to be on I don't the edge. Think it's, yeah. yeah, I don't think even winning it, I don't think is going to make people feel much better about their season. You know. So number 11th uh, was Nebraska. And this is a team we both we both had picked as 14th. And they finished 16 and 16 yep. in the overall, which is a you know not a losing season. <laughs> it's not a winning season, but not a losing season. They're 9 and 11 in the Big Ten. Uh, they had a very disappointing loss in the first round to Minnesota, which was surprising. Uh, and then, and then Tominaga really emerged as a really special player for Nebraska, and both from a sort of a interest standpoint, sort of his flair, his shooting, and they were actually an entertaining team to watch. And they were same record as Wisconsin, but I don't think you'd put them even in the same zip code as far as teams either certainly from an entertainment standpoint, but even from a talent or quality standpoint, they were definitely a better team than Wisconsin, even though they had the same record in the big 10. I I'd agree with that. And, and it's the first time that Fred Hoiberg's program has shown signs of life. Interestingly, the primary reason that happened though, was on the defensive end. He's known as an offensive coach, but his defense, they, they ended up 94th overall in Ken Palm, but 69th on the defensive end and then 150th on offense. Um, so it was their defensive improvement that really helped them make strides. And look, nine and 11 in the league in a league that was as deep as the big 10 was, that's an accomplishment. I mean, they were not great in the non-conference, you know, they took, I'm looking at how they perform. I mean, they got beat by St. John's. They got beat by Oklahoma. They got beat by Memphis. They got beat by Kansas state. They didn't do very much in the non-conference, but when they got into the league and especially late in the year, I mean, down the stretch of the regular season, they won uh, six of their last eight 
So that's a hell of a close, you know, and, and that was a couple of road wins. They beat Iowa on the road. They beat Rutgers on the road, you know, especially Rutgers, a tough building to win in. Um, so it was, it was a successful season by my evaluation in Nebraska, especially relative to expectations. You mentioned Tominaga's emergence was huge offensively. They also got really good play out of a couple of their veterans out of Derek Walker. Then one of their grad transfers, Sam Greasel gave them very solid play at the point. I think those were all keys to Nebraska getting better. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. They're going to be active in the transfer portal again. Uh, Tominaga should be back. Um, and they'll have some other guys, but, you know, assuming they don't lose them to the portal, Wilcher, Breedenbach, uh, Jamarcus Lawrence, who was really good late in the season. They should get Jawan Gary back from injury. So there's some, there's some reason to be excited for once about the trajectory at Nebraska, but it's really going to depend on what they do in the portal. Yep. And so uh, again, I just want to thank you for listening to the show and be sure to visit our sponsors. The first one being the brothers that just do gutters, Kurt Stauffer and his team over in the West side of the state. They will take care of your gutters, clean, repair, replace, whatever you need done. Extremely uh, professional, do work efficiently, quickly. They'll work in any weather pretty much. And uh, you can get 10% off if you contact Kurt and mention final four at K-U-R-T.S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R at brothersgutters.com. They took care of my family's gutters and actually family across the street now. Done great work and they do it, again, really quickly. And so if you want good work done, they're the ones to contact to take care of your water problems. So 10th in the Big Ten was Penn State. Penn State was 23 and 14 overall, 10 and 10 in the Big Ten. And, um, uh, you know, Michael Shrewsbury has as we're recording this just recently announced he's left leaving Penn state and heading to Notre Dame, which is a shame for Penn state, but let's just talk about with Penn state this year, a weird team, not much size, lots of outside shooting. And they sort of made it work. Uh, despite having all kinds of deficiencies from offensive and defensive end, they kind of, they kind of managed to, they won a big, t- uh, NCAA tournament game made it to the round of 32. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, a very successful season for a Penn state team that, Neither of us predicted very well. You had them, actually, you had them, ten, we both had them 10th. So I guess they ended up exactly where we thought they would, but I think they were better than we thought they were going to end up at 10th. Well, you don't, you don't necessarily expect a 10th place finisher to be an NCAA. Yeah, right. I think team. that's probably, and, yeah. and they, and they were in large part, again, because of the way they closed their season, they won, um, they won five of their last six in mm-hmm. the regular season yeah. that made the case. And then if they needed to make any further case, the fact that they went out and got themselves to the final of the Big Ten tournament, as I predicted, I'm gonna I'm gonna claim success on that one because I didn't have as much success on the regular season finish. Right. Um, but that nailed it, and then they validated that by blasting Texas A&M, and then really giving Texas a very competitive round of 32 game before falling by five. I I am torn in talking about Penn State because I loved watching this team play. And I think my, I think so much of Micah Shrewsbury as a coach, I'm very, very dissatisfied that he left Penn State. And I don't blame him. I blame Penn State. Yeah, for sure. From everything I've heard, Penn State was reactive and unwilling to show, to demonstrate the kind of commitment that frankly should have been there. Even before the NCAA tournament, just based on the way he closed the season, this was a flawed team. As you said, no size really playable, very little. And yet they went out in a league 
that is dominated by size across the board and found ways to compete. And trust me, nobody wanted them in the NCAA tournament because the way they play is so difficult to match up with. And Shrewsbury got the best out of what he had. Unbelievable season for Pickett. In a normal year, Pickett's season would have been Big Ten Player of the Year worthy. Yeah. Um, a couple big men around the conference pre- will prevent that from happening. But uh, he was great, had great players around him. Um, Lundy, uh, Funk, all those guys. I'm just so dissatisfied that Penn State couldn't show commitment. And I mean, even beyond the coach's salary, it's about more than that now. What are you going to do in NIL? What kind of facilities do you have? You know, what kind of pool is there for assistant coaches' salaries? All those kind of things were responsible for them losing him to Notre Dame. And I think that's shameful. Yeah. You you feel like with Penn State at this point, they have pretty much shown themselves to be the, the least interested in basketball of all the 14 teams in, right. the, in the league right. by, by quite a bit, I think. And that's, and that's unacceptable. I think that th- this is the point, you know, I've heard this story that several years ago, the SEC, and I, I hate using the SEC as a comparison point because I think so little of them as, as an entity, um, obviously not in terms of ability to compete athletically, but I just mean morally, academically, you know, I, I, I climately, right? <laughs> it's, it's third world, but, but anyway, um, one thing they did that I admire is they apparently the powers that be in that conference, meaning the commissioner's office and maybe maybe even some of the more respected athletic directors went around to some of the schools that had basically treated it as a sport, as uh, a uh, sideshow to spring football, non-revenue generating and said, sport. Hey, <laughs> hey, all these all these television rights dollars that we're bringing in, you need to start devoting some of this stuff to your basketball programs. And if you look around. That league has made huge strides in terms of the caliber of coaches that it has, and that's where it starts. And then you've seen some improvement on the playing side as well. Uh, I think, you know, now there are rumors as to what Penn State will do. There are rumors that they will bring in Mike Rhodes from VCU. If they do that, then I can't say it's disastrous. But if they do bring him in, or anybody else for that matter, Penn state needs to start showing a commitment that it's serious about basketball. And if they're not willing to do that of their own volition, I think it might be time for the big 10. Once it decides on who the next commissioner is going to be, at least to have some version of a come to Jesus conversation with Penn state about its basketball, because that's just, and I I say this as a, I want every team in the league to be competing. I'm a Michigan state fan, of course, but I want every team in the conference to be competing because in part that makes Michigan state better. Sure. And I just think it's shameful that they Penn state have the kind of season they had and have it followed up by what they showed in terms of lack of commitment. Just awful. Next would be Rutgers at number nine. That's exactly where you predicted them. I had them as eighth. They finished uh, 19 and 15 overall 10 and 10 in the big 10. They beat Michigan to knock Michigan states or Michigan's uh, tournament hopes off in the first round of the big 10. Then they lost to Purdue in the second round. And that is a team that lost my mag, uh, like eight games left in the big 10. I'm going to guess around there. They lost in the, during the Michigan state game and they just were never the same. They faded down the end. They also were controversial in some respects because they were unwilling to change their, uh, their game against Minnesota. And then to allow Michigan state an opportunity to play Minnesota. And so that game had to get canceled. And then ironically lost at Minnesota in that game as well. 
you know, I've been a fan of Steve Peichel and what he's done at Rutgers. And I still, I still admire it because it's a very, it's been historically a very difficult place to win at. He's done it. But the way the thing with MSU was reportedly handled um, was disappointing. And it's taken a little bit of the shine off that program in my eyes, at least. Um, They lost six of their last eight in the regular season. So they've got nobody to blame but themselves. They were the most controversial omission from the tournament field in part because they were number 39 in Ken Palm. I'm not sure where they were in net, but I believe it was in the top forties somewhere. Um, And rarely do teams in those spots get left out, but sometimes it happens. And in this case, you know, there was controversy around it, but I don't think anybody felt like it was an, uh, you know, an incredible um, injustice that was perpetrated. Rutgers earned their omission. Again, you lose six of eight down the stretch. You beat Michigan, which it was said, well, that's an elimination game, meaning the loser was definitely out. That was true. But I think there was a feeling generally, okay, Rutgers has probably done enough. The case is probably good enough that that win gets them in. And then they played Purdue in the quarterfinals and lost by five in a very competitive game. They didn't embarrass themselves, but they were out. And then they ended up in the NIT. And uh, after making, what was it? Two tournaments in a row. Um, And it would have been three, but for the COVID cancellation. Uh, And they lost in the first round against Hofstra in the NIT because frankly, they didn't care. Right. And I I mean, the best indicator is, you know what the score of that game was? 88 to 86. If Rutgers is playing in an 88 to 86 (laughs) game, even in overtime, they didn't care. They didn't care. Um, You know, defensively, they were great. Number six in the country. Offensively, as is usually the case, they struggled number 151. uh, And that was largely a result of being completely unable to shoot the ball well. Defensively, they were really good in everything except defensive rebounding where they were mediocre. It just didn't, you know, Rutgers was an experienced team. Um, I liked them. I liked the way that they played at large and over large parts of the season, but it, it just all kind of fell apart down the stretch. And, um, yeah, uh, you have to judge it as an unsuccessful season for where they are currently. Yeah. And we'll see how, we'll see where Steve Peichel can take him next. It certainly year. feels like a step backwards from where that program was going. Well, he's losing, he's losing some yeah, guys, right, you know, yeah. he's, he's going to lose. He loses camp Spencer and McKay. Um, I okay. He would be eligible for another year. McConnell is done. So it's really McConnell and Spencer. Two of those three starting guards are gone. Uh, I'm not sure I haven't, I'm not entirely up to speed with every single portal decision, but I believe um, that they haven't had a decision yet on Mulcahy. That would be big if they get him back. And then obviously Cliff Omarui in the middle would be a big decision as well. All right. So next would be the University of Michigan Wolverines. But before we go to that, <laughs> let's talk about Michigan. You know who doesn't like Michigan, Rod? Gabe and Brittany at Nudge Printing. <laughs> they dislike Michigan so much, they don't even print Michigan gear. They only print Michigan State stuff and all the other schools in Michigan for the most part. Central, Eastern, Alma, Calvin, Michigan Tech, Wayne State, San, uh, Saginaw Valley State, Grand Valley State. If you need their gear, you can go to the fi- Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. Enter in Final Four. You get 20% off of checkout. High quality, screen printed sweatshirts, hoodies, t-shirts. You won't go wrong by buying any of their stuff. I have a bunch of this stuff. I know Rod has some stuff. Everything is super high quality and great. 
And uh, they also make our gear. So if you want to get stuff with the Final Forge not the schedule logo, you can go to Nudge Printing and get it there. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, so let's talk about Michigan. 18 to 16 overall, 11 to 9 in the Big Ten. She gives them an eighth place finish. You had them as fifth. I had them as seventh, so I was closer, I guess, in that respect. Um, yeah. But, you know, there were four teams that were 11 and 9, so it's, you know, in some respects, they're all kind of the same. Michigan had probably the easiest schedule at 11 9 for the Big Ten because I think they played Minnesota twice and Ohio yep. State twice. Uh, this team was a wreck. They did make the NCAA tournament after, you know, really representing the Big Ten by making the Sweet 16 four years in a row or whatever it was, five years in a row. Uh, I don't know. They were just Put dysfunctional. Up. <laughs> they, it couldn't happen to yeah, nicer team. It, look, there were there were a variety of issues with Michigan. And you look at the overall picture, it doesn't look that bad. They were 45th overall in Ken Palm, 48th on offense, somehow got all the way up to 47th on defense. And I, I, I frankly don't know how that happened because I still think that was a bad defensive team. Um, early in the year, they their, look, their NCAA tournament fate was decided before January 1st. It really was, because they just didn't beat anybody. I mean, they, they did get a blowout win over Pitt, which l- looked like not a big deal when it happened, but Pitt ended up becoming an NCAA tournament right. team. So that one helped them. But you know, the sides were there early. They struggled to get by a bad Eastern Michigan team. They then got blown out by Arizona State, which, again, was an NCAA tournament team, but they got blown out on a neutral floor. They barely got by Ohio. They only beat Jackson State by 10. They then lost tight games to Virginia and Kentucky, but they still lost. They rebounded to beat Minnesota in the league, but then struggled to beat Lipscomb by eight. They lost to North Carolina by four, which at the time looked like not such a big deal, but Carolina wasn't a tournament team. Then the big, this was the big blow. 
They lost by two at home to Central yeah. Michigan, who ended up number three thirty-four in. Ken Is that Brown. bad? And if you want to, <laughs> yeah, if you want to point to one game that ended Michigan's season short of the NCAA tournament, that one was it. It was the loss to Central Michigan. And, uh, you know, the, the Big Ten, as you say, the, the record in the league was okay, but uh, they played the easiest schedule. They never really built up. I mean, when I, when I look at wins, you know, their best wins, I, I'm looking at this, at Northwestern, and at Rutgers, which are not bad, but they're not earth shaking. No. They're not the kind of earth shaking that they needed to do. And uh, they got into the NIT. They beat Toledo by 10, and then they lost in an incredible collapse against Vanderbilt <laughs> yeah. on the road in the second round. So they were out at that point. Um, and that was actually indicative of their season yeah, in a right. lot of ways. Can't close. Michigan games. was just really awful in late game situations, in tight games, just awful. And um, that all combined to do the men. So one of those things, um, their future to be determined. They've already had Jet with two T's, Howard, um, <laughs> declare he's leaving for the draft. He's not coming back. So he's done. Um, what happens with the rest of the roster, particularly Kobe Bufkin and um, Dickinson, remains to be seen. I am I am of the opinion that the best thing that could happen to Michigan's program would be Dickinson deciding to go elsewhere, whether that's professional life or transferring to another program. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I just think he sucks up all the energy in the room. He sucks up so much of what they can be offensively or defensively because he's giant and effective around the rim, but he also can't move. So that has negative ramifications. And you have to then account for that with everything else you do around him. And same problem Purdue has, by the way, which we'll get yeah. to. But um, I personally, if I were Michigan, I liked some of the things that Terrace Reed showed. And if I were a Michigan fan, I would probably be okay with Hunter moving on down the line and starting the Terrace Reed era because I would at least think I could get more offensive-defensive balance out of the position. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Bufkin is a big decision because if Bufkin comes back he could be a first-team All-Big Ten guy next year. He's that good. He was really good in the second half of the season, really good. Um, but I get the sense that the NBA is very possible for him. So we'll see. Yeah, I think you know there are a number of teams that really are affected by the portal, and I think Michigan's going to be one of you know Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State are going to be really active in the portal. Yeah. And I think you know even speculating at this point, and you know, again, we're recording this at the end of March who's going to be around and who's going to transfer out. And I mean, I think it's going to be very much in flux for quite a few months still with Michigan. So it's hard to know what they're going to be uh, moving on to number seven was Illinois. They were 20 and 13 overall 11 and nine in the big 10, uh, you know, first round loss in the big, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they were not really that competitive in that game. And they're uh, let's see, you had them as fourth. I had them as second. So we were both off by quite a bit on this finish. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're a team that had all kinds of promise, and and uh, I was convinced by my friend that they were going to be really good. And boy, when they played Michigan State, they looked pretty good. I mean, Matthew Meyer looked really great, and but they just never could quite have any sort of level of consistency. And that probably speaks a lot to your your point you've made many times that just the transfer and the lack of culture and the consistency playing with the, a team it just wasn't there. And and this is a team that brought back I think Coleman Hawkins and. 
Melendez, I think, were, and Goody were the only people returning from the team before. And I think, you know, they hardly, those guys even, aside from Hawkins, the other guys hardly had played. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I, there was an article that came out last night. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to read it because um, <clears throat> it was behind a paywall on an Illinois site. But apparently, Brad Underwood was doing some ruminating about what changes he may need to make to get his program to compete at what he thinks is the appropriate level, which is contending for national championship press. <laughs> um, it's not going to be that I would expect it has something to do with the way he's approaching recruiting because right now it's not working. I mean, he went heavily into the portal last year and you know, look, Terrence Shannon had a great year and Meyer individually did some really good things at times as well. But can, can you really say that was a success? Da- Danger was showed potential and he's already announced he's coming back. Um, you know, and then they lost some guys, you know, could they have used Granderson for another year? Yeah, I think so. I think he made a bad decision because I don't think Duke handled him no, appropriately no. either. So I think that was a lose lose, but, um, They've already lost um, the Epps kid as well as Sky Clark. So they've lost both of their po- freshman point guards from last year to the portal. Clark's already decided he's going to Louisville. Epps just hit the portal today. So it remains to be seen what happens there. But, um, yeah, it's they were just a exactly what I said I thought would be the problem, which is the lack of continuity – I don't know how you expect to find a consistent level of play. And that's exactly what they were at times. They look great. You look early in the season, Mm -hmm. they beat UCLA and they lost one to Virginia after that, but they beat UCLA. They beat Texas. You know, those that you had the feeling maybe it comes together, but they just didn't find offensive consistency. They were 26th on defense, pretty good, but only 68th in offense. Um, miserable from three, just absolutely miserable. And they had real turnover problems. Well, that's guard play stuff, yep. right? I thought this was guard you. <laughs> that's what I heard. It's what Brad Underwood tried to tell yeah, me. I don't know. Not so much this year. And he's got more problems coming next year unless he addresses it in the portal. And I don't know whether he'll be able to do that. So, you know, kind of the year I figured they would have more or less. It wasn't too dramatically different from what I thought. There were some high highs, but, um, you know, their fans aren't going to be happy with the way it ended. They got beat by Purdue in the regular season ender. They then lost their first game in the turn big 10 tournament to Penn state. And then Arkansas beat them in a first round game in the NCAA. Yeah. Not, not something that's going to go down. Well, I wonder too, on some level, if they, if they, poor evaluators of talent because they, it sounds like they pass in Jeremy fears early. Now, I don't know if that's because fears maybe indications that he wasn't interested in Illinois program. That's what they said, but it's yeah. hard to, hard to know. I mean, uh, we'll move on to Maryland. Well, the ironic, oh. the ironic thing is they said is, is they weren't sold on them as a shooter. Yeah. What did, what did they shoot this year? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just hilarious. But uh, anyway, I, that program other than Michigan, man, right now, currently the big 10, that one gives me the most entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> and gets me fired up more than anybody just because Brad Underwood just can't stop saying stupid. He can't. <laughs> He's constitutionally unable to avoid it. So moving on to number six was Maryland. They earned a, a surprising eight seed in the 
in the NCAA tournament, which I don't think either of us predicted. They were 22-13 overall, no. 11-9 in the Big Ten. I think, let's see, you had them as 11th. I had them as 12th. Uh, Kevin Willard yep. coming from, was it Seton Hall? Uh, yep. He had uh, very successful season. He got Jameer Young, who was very good. Uh, he was able to steady, steady the ship and actually improve the team a lot from last year. And he had enough pieces to kind of be competitive. Uh, when they left Maryland, they were not any good. But when they, when they were playing at home, they were unbeatable. So kind of a funny team in that respect. Yeah, uh, 24th overall in Ken Palm. Um, 33rd on defense, 37th on offense. So pretty solid consistency. I, I give Kevin Willard a lot of credit because I did not see this. Um, I thought it was going to be a build process for him, but he got that team with some pretty key portal additions to play coherently at both ends. And I mean, he didn't have much of a bench. He basically had a rotation that was what? Five, six, seven, not eight. many. I mean, kind of, kind of nine guys, but not yeah. really. More like eight. And he he got it done. I mean, a solid regular season. He gets into the tournament, beats West Virginia, and then got blown out by Alabama in the second half of that ga- second round game. But still, um, overall, relative to what realistic expectations were, I don't think you should be dissatisfied if you're a Maryland fan. And the good news is. Um, their point guard, Jameer Young announced today that he's coming back. So that's a big one. And, and, and potentially depending upon the decisions that guys make, at least I haven't heard anything to the contrary, they could have four or five starters back Hart and Scott are eligible to take a COVID year if they want. And Reese was only a sophomore this year. Young's already said he's coming back. So if he can get all four of those guys back and then, you know, he's done a decent job in recruiting this year, uh, maybe makes a portal addition or two. Maryland could be right back in that spot or better. Even. Yeah. I mean, I, I was impressed with what he did. I thought he was a decent hire and about the best they were going to be realistically able to do under the circumstances. But um, I, I will admit I wasn't knocked out. I think it still remains to be seen if he's a guy who can tap into the considerable potential that exists in that job, but um, no complaints with his first season. So number five is the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, they've finished 19 and 14 overall, 11, nine in the big 10. They were the fourth team. That was 11, nine. They had the highest with tiebreakers. Uh, they went out, they had a, earned an eight seed in the NC tournament loss in the first round. Uh, Chris Murray was following his brother, uh, Keegan Murray uh, I don't know. Iowa, it was there. I think they finished about what we thought you had them as seventh. I had them as sixth, So pretty much basically the same as fifth. Um, and they were a team that didn't play defense, had pretty decent offense. Surprisingly was poor shooting team than I th- think I'd anticipated. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're, I think I worry about them next year. Certainly they're going to have really struggle next year, I think, but they were sort of just, just what they were this year. The kind of the, they were, I guess, what everyone expected. <laughs> Not much more to say. Yeah. Man, you know, at times looked like they had the potential to be a little better than that. They ended up 40th overall in Ken Palm, fourth on offense, which is what we've got used to in part because they take such good care of the ball. You mentioned they actually didn't shoot it from three very well, but they made up for some of that because they didn't turn it over. They were a pretty good offensive rebounding team and they shot twos decently. You know, that's where somebody like Robracha right, really helped. Exactly. Them. Um but three-point shooting was very mediocre, which we're used to them being a little bit better. But defensively, 
they ended up number 168, which is the third worst finish for a Fran coach team ever since he's been on the job. And that says something <laughs> that is really, really bad. They were just, if you're used to Ken Palm, you know, that green is a positive indicator. You did well in that area. Kind of a, a whitish is sort of in the middle and red. You don't want to see red or pink. And there's a lot of red <laughs> on that defensive profile. They couldn't stop teams from hitting threes. Couldn't stop from hitting twos. Um, they were mediocre in terms of their defensive rebounding. I mean, it was just a rough go. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, we expect they're going to lose Chris Murray to the NBA. They will definitely lose Rebracha. They've already lost Ulis, who was their starting point guard to the portal, which I don't know. You might have more I, insight. I, that I have not I really do. been following surprised closely. Me. That's surprised. Well, it sort of surprised, surprised me, me. But yeah. Uh, Connor McCaffrey, I believe is, yeah, he's done too. So it's going to be a new era. Yep at Iowa. Um, and I'm not sure, but you know, the last two years or especially year before last, I kind of counted them out yeah. and, um, they surprised me. So we'll see if France got more tricks up. Maybe he has another set of identical twins that are going to come in and tear up the big 10. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so number four would be Michigan state. We already talked about them. Number three was Indiana. Yeah. They ended up with a four seed in the NCAA tournament. They're 23 and 12 overall, 12 and eight in the big 10, uh, behind, Phenom Trace Jackson Davis, who was basically running the team. Also, uh, I'm trying to, I totally, Hood Shafino, uh, with their freshman point guard, who was, was very good as well, although he was a freshman point guard. So he was up and down throughout the year. Uh, you know, they were, I think, better than we thought, but um, maybe not as good mm. as, I, I had him as fifth. You had him as second, I think, your pick. Yeah. Um, I think, well, I, th I would say that I thought they were, they were they were more competitive than I thought they were going to be this season. Um, they weren't quite as uh, I, last year. I feel the last couple of years they've just been sort of very blah and very average and discoordinated. I think they were a little le a little less so that this year, and that may just be a reflection of just Trace Jackson Davis playing better. Yeah, I, look, I I picked them to. I you picked, picked them to win. To win yeah, I'm sorry, not second. You picked them to win, but <laughs> but not to but win. But I also said they're not going to win it. <laughs> yeah. I picked them first, but I said they're not going to win it. So that ended up being true. They tied for second, but they were look, they were three games back. They didn't really no, come close no. to winning the regular season title. I look, I get what you're saying. In some ways, they looked better. Offensively, they were clearly better. Look, this is a team that's really struggled the last few years. If you look at the way they've shot, um, so I'll pick the last the three years of um 19, 20, and 21 under Arch, Arch Miller. In three-point percentage, they were number 311 nationally, 204, 236. And then the first year, Mike Woodson, they were 200. <laughs> this year, they were number 39. Yeah. They shot 36.8% from three. Their turnover percentage was decent. They were number 78. Guard play got better, and it got better in part, I believe, when Xavier Johnson yeah. got injured. And ended up not returning. Hood Chafino was a freshman, a talented freshman, but a freshman. So his play was up and down, but even the down notes were better, I think, than when Xavier Johnson was out there. Because I just don't think Xavier Johnson's a winning player. And there are other guys, the Trey Galloways, the Tamir Bateses, those guys were better. So IU was better. They were 29th overall, Ken Palm, 28th offensively, only 45th defensively. 
So it was really the improvement on offense that helped them. I think the guard play was much better. And then, of course, as you mentioned, they had Trace Jackson Davis, who was just he, he I was mean, phenomenal. right there yeah. among the best players in the nation. And his motor was nonstop. He finished at a high level. He handled the ball a lot, was a playmaker for them. He was a for, uh, tremendous rebounder, a defensive presence. I mean, he just had the whole package. Um, but overall, I think, you know, IU brought a lot back last year. They brought a lot back because they had guys come back for COVID years and then, um, and Trace Jackson Davis didn't go to the pros and they bring in two McDonald's All-Americans. So you look at that picture and that's why people were picking them to win it. They didn't win it. Weren't close. They lost, you know, they won one game and then lost in the semis in the Big Ten tournament. They won one game and then got absolutely raked by Miami in the second round of the NCAA tournament, which doesn't look as bad in retrospect because Miami's going to the final four, but still that's a game that when I saw it happen, I said, I, you should be ashamed of themselves for the way they played <laughs> in the second half. Uh, they were there. They had a chance to win that game, I think, and then just completely caved. They looked like they were running a molasses, um, which was a problem for them at times this year. At times they just looked very, very slow to me. And I'm not sure why, but overall decent year. I think the question is, what can Mike Woodson do to build on it? Because he's going to lose a lot. Jackson Davis is done. I got to believe Hood Chafino is going pro. Um, I believe race. Yeah. Race Thompson is done. He used his COVID year. Um, and then I think Miller cop. Yeah. Miller cop is also done. So that's a bunch of guys. Yeah. That's four starters gone. The cupboard's not totally bare, but I, I don't think you can have the same expectations unless IU just hits it huge in the transfer portal. And that, as we've talked about, comes with its own right, problems. Absolutely. Okay, next we'll go to number two. Everyone's, I suppose, the preseason consensus number two pick for the Big Ten finish, the, Nor <laughs> the Northwestern Wildcats. <laughs> you were a little kinder. You had them at 12th. I had them at 13th. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I guess you could, in some ways you could say, well, they're 12 and eight. So it's not like they, you know, tore apart the big 10. It was the difference between second here and almost, uh, you know, ninth is only a couple games, but the fact that even got anywhere close is, I think, you know, big surprise. We had talked about it previously, um, in the pre the preseason, you know, they have got two really good guards, Chase Adige and Boo Booey. They lost a couple big parts. I mean, Ryan Young, not so much. He went to Duke. But Pete Nance, who ended up in yep. North Carolina, and I don't did they make the tournament, Rod? I don't think they did. <laughs> he left Northwestern. Yeah, isn't that funny? Pete, Na Pete Nance thought he was trading up to a Final Four. Instead, his, his old school makes the tournament and his new school doesn't. Yeah. Um, and look, and Young was a significant loss, too, in that, you know, he was, he was right. a valuable player for Northwestern. And so you looked at it coming into the season and you know, my, my thought was, well, they've got those two guards that can score and, and Ty Berry is a third guy who's shown some potential over time, but boy, it, it's Robbie Baran and then a bunch of yeah. not so proven guys. And you really, you really had to wonder where does the offense come from? But I think what we, what we discounted, and that was largely true. I mean, Northwestern ended up with only the 88th ranked offense. This was not an offensive juggernaut. And oftentimes 
when you watch them play, it really did come down to sure. what do they get from their three? We'll include Barry. Their three guards. Do they get enough? And if they don't on a given day, they're going to have a hard, it'd be like we talked about with Wisconsin. They're going to have a hard time scoring enough points to win. But I don't think we anticipated their defense would be as great as it was. It ended up as the number 20 defense in the country. And they were just really, really good. And they were good, I think, for a couple main reasons. One is the obvious one is their perimeter guys were very aggressive in terms of trapping, playing passing lanes without gambling. It was half court stuff. It wasn't like they were full court pressing, but they were so good at forcing opponents into mistakes that it really helped them. And it also helped them offensively at times too, because they were able to get some easy baskets generated off that stuff. I think the most obvious sign of it was they were the team that I think we're going to talk about Purdue last here, but they were the team that really provided the key to how you have to play this Purdue team. Yep. Because they they beat Purdue and really kicked off that end of the regular season run where Purdue was no longer invulnerable. And they did it primarily by absolutely swarming Zach Eady. Those guards were coming from every angle. And it wasn't just double teaming. They triple team him. They'd have four guys on him at times. And not just on him, but going aggressively at him, trying to strip the ball, trying to disrupt his dribble. You know, all of that stuff, and it really worked. And so you started seeing other teams begin to do that against Purdue. And I think that lasted straight through to what yep. happened to Purdue in the tournament, which we'll we'll talk about in a few moments, because I think uh, Fairleigh Dickinson did something similar. So Purdue's defense was really good for that reason. And the second reason, maybe a little bit on some, but I've talked about Matt Nicholson, Matthew Nicholson, ever since he was recruited. Um, he was a product of Clarkston. Um, he was on the same team that, uh, foster lawyer. And even though Thomas Kithier didn't end up being eligible to play, he was on that team, but he didn't play a huge role. He, he got more minutes after those guys were gone, but he was a guy that, that I thought might end up being a, a spring kind of pursuit, similar to maybe the way MSU went sure. after Carson Cooper right? Where it's a late in the process kind of thing. Didn't work out that way. He got offered by Northwestern. He took it and then he didn't play a whole hell of a lot in his first two years, but this year in part, because they lost those guys you just mentioned, they had to play him. And I thought he got better and better as the year went on. He occasionally would give them some bursts of occasional scoring, but his primary value was defense. He gave Northwestern a really, really nice option down low. He didn't do anything spectacular, but I thought he got really good in pick and roll. He gave them a little bit of rim protection and then just a big body that occupied space inside. And that was, I think in the end, that was a really important component of what they did because they felt confident enough in him that their perimeter guys could afford to not gamble per se, but, you know, maybe just, maybe just be a little bit more aggressive than they might otherwise be. And if it did break down, if an opponent managed to withstand that, they would still have to deal with Nicholson around the rim. So I think they were a really good defensive team. They got just enough done offensively. And 
a hell of a year for Chris Collins and he needed it. Right. I mean, it's hard to know at a place like Northwestern when you're really in trouble or not, but since their tournament breakthrough several years ago, I mean, it's been a while and Northwestern did not seem to be getting better. Like they were, they seem to be getting further away from being a tournament team and for them to recover, um, get to the tournament, win a game. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and and finish tied for second. I, I think that that just, that's a tremendous, tremendous season. Now, you know, we don't know what next year is going to hold, but, but for now, I think, I think you got to look at, at this season as a year that certainly should buy Chris Collins for more sure. time. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if second place is the best ending they've ever had in the big 10, but it has oh, to be. Yeah. Well, certainly in the modern era. I mean, that's the thing. I, when I look at their team, I felt like they're like, when was their last tournament team? Was 16, that the 18, was it 16 17, 17, something eight? like that. Yeah, 16, 17. Okay. That team, I felt watching them game to game felt like a better team than this one to me. Oh, yeah. They were certainly better offensively, you know, but honestly, in terms of where they finished, certainly in the standings, now it was a very different year mm-hmm. in the Big Ten, but this team was better in that way. You know, they finished higher. You're right. That, that, that team, I forget where they finished in the standings, but I don't even know. They might've been top four, maybe, but I, I'm I don't not think so. I that without yeah, looking. I'd be surprised and with that high. They might not, they might've been like sixth. Yeah. They know? were, they were an eight but, seed. Um, so they couldn't have been that high up in the standings. I wouldn't think. Okay. Right. So they probably were like sixth or seventh, something like that. But, um, but this team, uh, yeah, this team really, uh, and, and I would say this too, you know, it, to me, the fairest way to evaluate the job that a team, its coaches, its players has done is how close to their ceiling do you think they came? You know, and it's pretty hard, in my opinion, to argue that Northwestern didn't come closer to maxing out <laughs> what they had than anybody else. They shattered it. <laughs> I mean, you can talk about anybody, Purdue, whoever. They came closest to maxing out. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. And yeah, now looking over, actually, Northwestern has won the Big Ten, which I don't remember this back in 1931 and 33. Um, you know, we've been around a while. <laughs> there you, there <laughs> you go. So you're almost 100 yeah. years now. That's and and they were, you know, they were second. Now they weren't no, three games close back, to yeah. winning the title this year, but but still, that's a hell of an yeah, accomplishment. Absolutely. Yeah, they would go twenty-two and twelve overall, twelve and eight in the Big Ten, and uh, you know, I, they they were never a team that struck you as really, uh, you know, they would scare you, but they would beat you, and that, and you know, they gave UCLA a tough run in the second round in the NCAA tournament as well. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Oh no, I was go just going to say that's just when going back a little bit to their defense. I mean, I think the the one advantage they had, Chase Adige has arms that are like twice his. Uh, Wings, I don't know. His really wingspan is yep. crazy long, uh, which I think helps with steals yep. and with deflecting passes and such. And then I think Nicholson For sure. is way more mobile than Ryan Young ever was. And it's it's actually interesting. They're probably better off that oh. Ryan Young left, left and was forced to play Nicholson because he was able to get comfortable in their defense and the team. And he's just much more versatile than than Ryan Young ever could have been. Yeah, that That's what I'm talking about. And I completely agree with that. He he showed enough mobility and honestly it, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I thought 
when he was being recruited that this is the kind of guy he could be. I didn't, I didn't ever see superstar, but I thought, you know, and it's, and it's why I thought that maybe he might make sense depending upon how the roster sorted out as a late addition to a class for MSU precisely for the reasons you saw this year, the value he had for Northwestern. Now it's taken him a while to get up to speed fully um, figuratively and literally, but he's there now and his mobility was a big difference maker. You're right. Young, young could do a couple things. Well, he could occasionally give you some low post scoring and he was a good positional rebounder, but he was terrible defensively. He couldn't move. And, and you'll notice too, by the way, maybe not coincidentally that Duke season really took off once Derek lively their their all world freshman finally was healthy enough and together enough as a player to start playing the lion's share of the minutes and young kind of moved to a deeper reserve role when he was playing a more prominent role duke wasn't as good and he did all the same things there that he did at northwestern good offensive rebounder could score around the basket but he he such a negative defensively I mean, you know, you, we, we talk about this a lot during the season, the problem that, and we're going to talk about it again in a minute, the problems that having these giant immobile bigs can create for you when you've got them on your team, even the ones who can score 20 points a night or more. And it, it, it really is a problem in modern basketball. You do not have a guy at the five who can switch to some extent who can handle pick and roll, you know, do those things. To me, if you want to win for the most part, now I'll acknowledge there could be exceptions, but for the most part, to me, that's where I would start when assessing, can a five man help me or not? It would be that. Can they hold it down defensively in all the ways they need to in the modern game? And if they can't, then you better really think about what you're going to have around them, how you're going to play, et cetera. Nicholson really allowed Northwestern's perimeter guys to do what they do best. And because he gave them a backstop. Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Northwestern and their overall record as a team is 1104, 1557 and one, <laughs> which I didn't know you could even get a tie. Huh. It was a great author. So they're about 500 games. Yeah, about 500. 500. Yeah, 450. All yeah. time. Our, the great Arthur Lonberg yeah. was the last wi- coach with a winning percentage. He coached from 27 to 50 with 236, 203, and one record. Um, yeah, everybody else yeah. had losing records at Northwestern. So what Chris Collins did this year was uh, impressive. You know, he uh, much like Micah Shrewsbury, he did the most. He did uh, he did the best with what little he had. I think they had the two best years in in my mind. I know a lot of people toward the end of the regular season, I saw a lot of media types saying, what does it even mean if Matt Painter can have the year he had and not win coach of the year? And I understand it from the perspective of nobody picked Purdue to win the league and they won it pretty right. easily. And were seen as one of the best teams in the country, which was always dubious in my mind. Mm-hmm. But um, I get it from that perspective. But again, I think the way you evaluate it is how close to the ceiling did a guy get his team to play? And those two guys pretty easily win that battle. 
I could, I would have been fine with Shrewsbury. I mean, Collins won it. I would have been fine with Shrewsbury too, but they did the two best jobs to me. Painter comes in third in yeah. my calculus. Well, Shrewsbury's in the ACC now, so forget about him. All right. Right. So let's go to the Big Ten champions, the Purdue Boilermakers, 29 and six overall, 15 and five in the Big Ten, and they were running away with the Big Ten. They ended up winning easily, but uh, it tightened up a little bit at the end. They weren't able to quite pull away. You had them predicted six. I had them fourth. Uh, and, mm. you know, they they, uh, they obviously running on Edie. Their two freshman guards were playing great basketball. And, you know, it's it's always hard to know. Like, you know, as you mentioned, Northwestern sort of figured it out. You put pressure on those guys. You force them to handle the ball. You force them into – you may play physically with them. And they're going to have – they're going to struggle. And Brendan Smith and – and and Fletcher Lawyer certainly struggled a little bit at the end of the season, a lot at the end of the season. And I was, I was going to yeah. say you're 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 underplaying. But, but I would say it's interesting because you look back and you're like, hmm, were those guys were they just had no one figured out the equation, and or did they sort of hit that freshman wall and they just and they just had more difficulty? You know, was a scouting report out? I no one had maybe gotten into them up until that point uh, in the Big Ten season. So I don't, I mean, I don't I guess we'll never know the answer to that, but except maybe next year, I guess next year, if they have, if they struggle again with pressure, then you might have an answer. I don't think it's any one thing. I mean, I know what I just said about Northwestern, but um, that was reflect that was it actually showed up in a couple of ways. It wasn't, it was about forcing Edie into doing some things he didn't want to do. It was also about pressuring their guards and you saw teams have some success against them applying full court pressure yeah. too. But it was also besides the, the decision to go more aggressively against them. It was also too about those freshmen hitting the wall. And we talked about this um, repeatedly during the season that uh, they seemed overdue those guys for um, for that moment where you started to see them struggle the way most freshmen go through at one point or another. Yep. Right. And it took a long time. It took until maybe mid February for it to arrive. But when it did it, it arrived yeah. hard, really hard. Um, you know, you look at how, and I'm just real quickly going over um, their stats, you know, Smith and lawyer were hugely important to that team's success. Obviously you, you think about, think about the Michigan state game at Breslin. Mm -hmm. Zach Eady had huge numbers, but they won that game in large part because of plays Fletcher lawyer was right, able to make right. late. Yep. Right. If you remember. Um, so I'm looking at where it ended for these guys though. Fletcher lawyer. Everybody, th I mentioned that name. Everybody thinks, oh, dead eye shooter, right? And he was a good shooter for a lot of the season. You know what he ended up on the year? 37% overall, 33% from yeah. three. Just, no, That's not, not great. Played us. Yeah, right. <laughs> Braden, Braden Smith, a little better, 44% overall, 38%. Half of volume. But he was better than that yeah. earlier in the season. Right. And, and way down in terms of volume. And. You know, you look at Braden Smith, their point guard, um, doesn't come close to a, a two for one. 
Oh, I'm sorry. He does just exceeded, just exceeded two for one assist to turnover. He was just over that mark. So he was okay, but I think both he and lawyer really struggled ball handling. They just struggled with all the things you would expect a freshman to struggle with because they haven't gone through an off season weight training program and Purdue's pretty good yeah. at that. I, I would put Purdue historically, meaning, you know, the last, well, they go back even longer than MSU. They go back to the beginning of the Katie era. Purdue's probably unmatched over the last 40 years in terms of a very effective strength and conditioning program. Michigan State has been very good over the last 25 years or so, I would say. Um, so I think they're going to get better. But as true freshmen, you would expect they would struggle some with strength. They might Their conditioning might start to hit a rut as they got late in the season. Well, that's what happened. And they just weren't physically or mentally able to be strong enough with the ball. And so teams were able to get into them. And if you, if you watch them closely, in my view, they started leaning on their more experienced guys like David Jenkins, the transfer they had from Utah and, um, and Ethan Morton and Brandon Newman. They started leaning on those guys more late in the year because the freshmen were struggling so badly. But the problem is those guys have more experience and they're stronger, but they weren't as good. You know, they just weren't, they weren't as capable, um, as the freshmen had been earlier in the year. So those were things that, that really hurt Purdue. I, I would say the other thing is this, and I, I maintain that this is true. I've talked about it a lot here. I'll continue to say it. The problem you have when you, and I'm talking about the NCAA tournament, because look, whatever we say about Purdue, the regular season was a big success. You win the big 10 regular season, you win the big 10 tournament, you win the big 10 regular season by three full games. That is a successful regular season. And they, and they had a great non-conference too. There's no getting around that. That's all great. But this sport, you are evaluated firstly fair or not by what you do in March and Purdue has struggled in March relative to expectations for a long time. And I think in this current era, that will say the last decade, Matt Painter, we, we always joke about it, right? He's got a type. Anytime you read <laughs> about a seven foot three guy, you figure, oh, he's right, going to yeah. Purdue. And sometimes it actually works out that way because they have a guy like that all the time for, for about a decade. Now he's built his teams around players like that. A lot of success, a lot of wins, some big 10 championships, all those things have happened over that period, but you know, what hasn't happened frequent March runs. They've got one run in that time to the elite eight. That's it. No final fours, not enough, even sweet 16s to, to say that they've met expectations, Mm -hmm. right? Why is that the case? I would argue when you build your team around a player like that, and they do, and when you play a player like that, you're, you're almost forced to build your team around him because he's going, that kind of guy, a big, but largely immobile player is going to dictate everything else you do around him. They suck up all the oxygen in the room, so to speak. This is true for Purdue. It was true for Michigan with Dickinson. It was true for Illinois when they had Kofi Coburn. 
It just is. And I think that you saw in that game against Fairleigh Dickinson, you know, people tell, well, why didn't Purdue adjust? I would argue they couldn't adjust. They didn't have the capability to adjust because they played one way for an entire season. And they played that one way because they didn't have any other way they could play. Zach Eady, who had a fantastic year, was so significant to everything they did offensively that, of course, they were going to everything was going to revolve around him. You know, he's the force in the middle and everybody else is in in orbit around him. And defensively, because he can't move, you can't adjust there either. You can't decide you're going to play pick and roll differently because he can't move well enough to hedge, you know? So it, it, it dictates and locks you in to playing one way. And I maintain that your best bet for NCAA tournament success is that you are capable of playing very different games and being competitive in all of them. You have the ability to adjust you have the ability to change things on the fly and you have the ability to play different kinds of opponents and in different styles of games with equal effect. That is all of that is something that is beyond Purdue as they have been constructed. And I think it, it hurt that the freshman hit a wall. This was not a particularly good deep shooting team. Purdue's had much better ones. This one was not good from three. Um, they struggled some with turnovers late in the year. They were a good defensive team, but they had some weaknesses, namely he can't move that creates problems. It creates opportunities rather for opponents. But I just think you can sum it up by saying Purdue could not respond to a team that played a very particular kind of approach and Purdue couldn't counter punch. They couldn't adjust. And so they lost. Yeah. And, you know, only the second, only the second one seed to ever lose in the first round um, joining. But, but honestly, when you compare that game to Virginia losing to Maryland, Baltimore County, this was a way bigger upset. By Ken Palm standards and analytics, right? Yeah. And every standard, I think. (laughs) Look, yeah, every standard. Fairleigh Dickinson wouldn't have even been in the tournament except that the regular season and conference tournament champions Merrimack is not yet eligible to play in the tournament because they're only in, I don't know, is their fourth year or fifth year in D one. So the NCAA has some weird rule that when you petition to join, you know, to, to move to a new level, you have a certain number of years in which you're, you're not yet eligible for the tournament. Don't ask me how that makes any sense at all. But it was the case. Fairleigh Dickinson didn't even win their conference tournament. They lost the game, but they went anyway because they were the yeah. runner-up. That's how bad they were. And or or let's say that's how that's that's how not how good weak they, they were, were as a opponent. And, right. and yet, and yet they beat Purdue because they were able to swarm them, make them feel uncomfortable, and take enough advantage of the opportunities that Purdue's defense gave them because Purdue couldn't adjust. They couldn't play any other way other than the one way they played all year. You know, I've also heard it speculated um, that some of this it's, it's interesting to note and it makes some sense intuitively to me, but I have not heard him directly quoted on it that Matt painter is, 
is a, I know this is true. He believes very deeply in the value of deep basketball analytics. And part of the reason he has been compelled to move toward this approach is that it makes sense analytically. You have a guy like a Zach Eady, you're going to shoot a very high percentage around the rim. You know, it's it, it you play it out over the course of 30 some games and his approach, generally speaking, is going to be successful. The problem with that is what works over that large sample size, I don't think can be assumed to to play out the same way when you have to win six games mostly of progressively more difficulty in the NCAA tournament. It's just, you see too much variety. It's too much. It's too susceptible to the things that can go wrong, even with an overall analytically sound approach in a one game scenario. I've said the same thing about Alabama and we see Alabama didn't even get to the elite eight. Right. Now, was it because of the decisions that Nate Oates makes? Well, you can argue that, but, I again, I am I'm as convinced as I am of anything in college basketball terms. It is this. If you want to win four games or especially six games, you better be able to play different ways. And if you can't, you're in trouble. And that's what happened to Purdue, in my opinion. Yep. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. And I guess a. Another reminder to visit our sponsors at Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com and also go to the brothers at Just Do Gutters if you live on the west side of the state and need gutter work. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.